Hi, this is Robert Furrow, and this is TruthQuest Podcast. This is our Q&A, where we look at questions through the lens of Scripture. Our desire is to know what God's Word says so that we can know what to believe. Instead of just approaching the Scriptures trying to back up what we already believe, we want to know what the truth is. We are truly on a truth quest. If you're new here with us, we want to welcome you. We get our questions from four different places. There's three of them on Facebook. One of them is Calvary Tucson or Calvary Chapel Tucson's page. The other one is Calvary uh, Tucson on YouTube. Uh, we are excited to be here with you guys. We hope that you guys are blessed by the time that we spend together. If you want to ask questions, you can ask questions on the Bible, on prophecy, on apologetics, um, really on anything as we'll take a look at them through the lens of Scripture. If you would like to subscribe to this podcast, which gives you full-length teachings, shorter hot topics, and our Q&As, there are four or five each week. Uh, you can sign up anywhere that you get your podcast. Just search for Robert Furrow and then go ahead and click on TruthQuest and subscribe there. All right, so good to see you, Daniel. Uh, we have our first question comes to us from a previous Q&A. What are the signs we are living in the last days? So there are several things that the Bible tells us about what the last days are going to be like. We know that there are going to be deceivers. We know there are going to be false teachers. And there's going to be a great falling away because men are heaping up for themselves teachers who will tickle their ears. When the disciples were asked by Jesus, what is the sign of your coming? When will these things be? And what is the sign of your coming? The first thing that Jesus said was that they were to be careful because many false teachers were going to go out. Listen to what it says, and I'll put it up here on the screen for you. Listen to what it says in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. Now the Spirit expressly says that in the latter days, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and the doctrines of demons, speaking lies in hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron. There are other passages that tell us similar things. Men are going to be lovers of themselves and lovers of pleasure. And um, th this lack of morality will be around the world. And we're seeing that today. There is a lack of morality that is around the world today. And the Bible says that that's going to be the last days. Men are also going to heap up for themselves teachers who will tickle their ears. And we're seeing that as well. The, the pastors, the teachers in America and really abroad, who have the most influence, don't give the message of the gospel. They are often teaching about how to make things better. It's kind of like the power of positive thinking that's turned into sermons. And people like it because they turn it on, they hear something motivational, and they heap up for themselves teachers who will tickle their ears. And when the truth is pointed out, that these guys are teaching doctrines of demons and that this is what the last days is about, oftentimes they'll push back. Well, we heard. We heard good things from them or I was really moved by them. But the real question is not whether or not you were moved by them or even heard some biblical truth from them because you could have, but do we have loyalty to God and to his word that we do not want to give heed to these false teachings, doctrines of demons in the last days. Now also there are signs in the nation of Israel. We are the first generation 
since the destruction of Israel in 70 AD to have Jerusalem under Israeli control again. And Jesus said that Jerusalem would be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the time of the Gentiles is fulfilled. These are great signs. Also, Jesus said there are wars and rumors of war and ragings of sea and all of these things are not the end. But when you see all of these things, look up. So it's a culmination. They're like birth pains that get worse and worse. And our world indeed is getting worse and worse. And then we are to look up for our redemption draws an eye. I believe there is no doubt that we are living in the last days. So if you have a question, if you're joining us here today and you have a question, then you could just write the word question in front of it or write a question mark in front of it, write out the question and we will get to them um, in order. All right, we may return uh, to the topic of whether or not we're living in the last days here in a little while. So first of all, we have a question from John P. John, good to see you. Good afternoon, Pastor Robert. I know Paul said that women should be quiet in church. I cannot find where Jesus spoke of it. Can you help? Bless you and your family during the holy season. Um, God bless you too. I may have a great Christmas. Um, okay, so whatever Paul meant, I think it was 2 Timothy 2, when he said, let the women be silenced in church, and you think he says that in Corinthians as well, he doesn't mean that they can't speak at all in church. Whatever was happening, whatever was going on, it's, there's always a context. And part of hermeneutics is when you are looking at things, you gotta look at them in the immediate context, you've gotta look at them in the light of the context of the Bible, uh, you want to be able to um, let this, the passage interpret itself, look at the words that are in it. And so some of the context is obviously missing because before Paul had said, talked about women praying in church and women prophesying in church. So if it's okay for women to prophesy in church and to pray in church, then they can talk. So when he says, I would that women would keep silent, it means something else was going on. Many people suggest that some women were being unruly and yelling across to their husbands because the women sat on one side and men sat on the other. I don't know, maybe. There's something going on. Maybe it's one particular person or maybe it's a group of women that are causing problems and distractions. Sometimes people love to be seen. They love to, to, have, to, to distract. They distract people to themselves and they think people are thinking that they're awesome but in reality, they're just distracted away from what God's doing. And that might have been the case when he says for women to keep silent or to ask their, their husbands at home. I do know the passage where it says, I, not, I do not have a woman to have authority, that that word for authority is a really interesting word. It's never used in a positive sense. It's never used in this Greek word for authority. It's never used to talk about the authority that a man has. I think that he could say, I would that no one would have that kind of authority. He wants us to be servants of one another, submitting to one another. That's what God desires and God wants. So it depends on, John, if you are an egalitarian or a complementarian. So an egalitarian is someone who believes that women and men have more equal roles and that what was happening in the biblical times was um, culture and that complementarianism is the belief that God established the role, women being equal with men, but having a different role than the husband does, and that God honors 
when there is the proper roles that are being taken. I think in both in both bo both groups in churches there have been women that have been abused um just meaning they're just not treated right. I don't mean abuse in any horrible kind of a way, but just not treated right. God wants us to treat everybody with love and respect, to listen to everyone. And I think when we put all the passages in the Bible together about a woman's role in the Bible, we can see that it's not that they are not supposed to pray in church or even be in some kind of a spiritual leadership because they could be. They could be in a, they could be, be a pastor over youth or a pastor over um, over the children's ministry. There are some places that want the role pastor to only be for men. But if they're pastoring kids or pastoring other women, then I, I don't have a problem with it. We don't see it a lot, but I don't have a problem with it. So hopefully that will help whatever Paul meant when he said that women are to keep silent. He didn't mean they couldn't talk in church because he had already dealt with that earlier about them praying and prophesying in church. And um, if um, I'm not exactly sure where those passages are at, it's something we can look up a little bit later on and we can talk about in another spot. All right. So thank you very much. I appreciate that, John. Good to see you. Hopefully um, that is helpful. Um, so uh, let's see. Jari has a question. Jari, is it always a good idea to pray before meals? Thank you. Um, so yeah, so the, the Bible says that food is sanctified by our prayers. And I think it's always good to have a thankful heart and to be thankful for God's provision. And anytime that we sit down to eat, it's because God has given us that provision. Um, I just say in public, we, Jesus said, when you pray, go in your prayer closet at home and close the door where people don't see you. So when you're out in a meal and you're going to pray, I say, don't make it a big deal. Don't, uh, don't make it showy. Just go ahead and if you're going to hold hands and pray or bow your head and pray and ask God to bless the food and pray for whatever you do and then go on. And that way there's not people stopping and waiting to bring you salt or ketchup or whatever you've asked for um, when, when the meal gets there. Um, I think that this goes against what Jesus said when he said, um, don't pray to be seen by men. You just got to ask your motives. I think it's good to pray, to pray in a public restaurant, not to hide it. That's all good, right? It's just that if you're doing it to be seen by men, that's the problem. And that's probably, by the way, what those women were doing that Paul talked about having authority or keeping silent in church they were probably drawing attention to themselves. And Paul was dealing with a very specific situation when he dealt with that. We just turn it into something that's broader a lot of times. All right, so yes, good idea to pray for your meals. Just make sure that your prayers are for God and that they're not showy. This is a danger, by the way, for any religious leaders. The Pharisees prayed to be seen by men. We are not supposed to do that. So we have another question here from Albert. Albert, good to see you. Uh, hello, Pastor. We know spiritual warfare is real and demonic powers are against us. But we also know that our hearts are wicked. Is there a danger in not looking at ourselves in our struggles? Thank you. All right, so if I can get right what you're asking here, is there a danger in not looking at ourselves if we struggle? So if I I'm going to answer this, and if I answer it wrongly, Albert, if I kind of assume a couple of things wrong, then go ahead and write back, and um, I'll take a look at it again. 
All right, so first of all, spiritual warfare is real. The enemy would love to take us down, but the Bible says that greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. The Bible says give no place to the enemy. The Bible says put on your entire spiritual armor and stand and pray. The Bible says flee tem- uh, flee the enemy uh, or flee temptation and resist the enemy and he will flee from you. Jesus told his disciples, behold, I give you power to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing will by any means hurt you. Jesus said to Peter, Satan is asking to sift you like wheat, but I've prayed for you and when you are strengthened, restore the brethren. And that's just really interesting because God allowed Peter to be sifted, but he had prayed for him and God used it. Paul said that there is a messenger sent from Satan to buffet him of an infirmity, something in his flesh. Um, Jesus cast out spirit, a spirit of infirmity. I don't think that's the name of the spirit or that's the job that the spirit had to run around and, and cause infirmity, but I think that certain spirits can do that and that particular spirit had caused that problem. And Paul prayed that he would be delivered and he wasn't delivered. The enemy is powerless except for two things. Number one, your cooperation with him. So the Bible says, resist the devil, he'll flee from you and give no place to the enemy. And so, and we're also to pray during the Lord's Prayer, deliver us from the the evil one. Um, Do not lead us into temptation and deliver us from the evil one. And I think that this is a prayer that we should find a way to pray every day, day, because we don't want to be delivered into temptation. Remember, the Holy Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness to deliver him into temptation. The Holy Spirit wanted Jesus to win, which he did, and God sometimes will lead us to where something can turn into a temptation, but God has it for a very different reason. Joseph said to his brothers, you meant this for evil, but God meant it for good. And so, um, yeah, there's this very real spiritual world going on, but there's also this battle going on inside of me. I struggle, my flesh against the spirit, and the spirit with my flesh so I don't do the things that I wish. And I am tempted when I am enticed by my own desires, James chapter one. It's not the devil making you do it, making me do it. It's me doing what I am prone to do. Even if I don't like it, like if I have an outburst of anger and I hate that I had an outburst of anger, then it's not because I like it. It's because I have that weakness and I need God's strength. And so we should always look at ourselves, confess our sins, never say the devil made me do it, um, but know that we are to put on that full armor of God, which includes our feet prepared with the gospel of Jesus Christ and take that gospel to a lost and perishing world. I think that, that spiritual warfare is very real. I just think most Christians, a lot of Christians, especially those that focus on spiritual warfare, take it too far. They give the enemy too much power. They make everything about spiritual warfare instead of looking how the Bible says that we ought to take care of things. Um, uh, First John tells us that if we are in Christ, we do not sin and the evil one uh, cannot touch us. Now, two things there, if we're with Christ, we don't sin. Well, earlier it said that if you say you have no sin, you're a liar. So we know that that's practicing sin and the evil one cannot touch us. 
And so uh, we stand fast in where we're supposed to stand fast in, put on our armor. And if you feel like there's some kind of a spiritual battle that's taking place around you, then put that armor on and stand fast and firm um, with Christ. All right. Thank you, Albert. I hope that's helpful. Like I said, if I didn't answer your question, because the way that I read it is we know that um, the spiritual warfare is real, demonic powers are against us, um, but also our heart is wicked, right? And they connect, they use that. Is there a danger of not looking at ourselves um, in our struggles? And yes, there very much is. You know, the devil made me do it. It's not me that has this problem. It's the devil that made me do it. That's always a problem, all right? So I think I, I, think I got that, Albert. Good to see you guys. Appreciate you being here uh, today. If you have a question, then you can write the word question out and then you can put your question in. Uh, read it a couple of times before you submit it to make sure that it makes sense and then go ahead and submit it. Um, and submit it. Um, all right. So here's a question from Daniel. Daniel's our moderator um, at the church. Um, Daniel says, our moderator on uh, this, he also works at the church, but Daniel says, hypothetically, if Pastor Paul Onquest were to step down and a qualified woman wanted to be the new worship leader, pastor over the worship team, would you approve it? Thank you very much, Daniel. I appreciate that. Um, yes, uh, we have women worship leaders now that lead worship on their own. Um, and I would not hesitate to have a woman who is a director over the worship teams, especially if she's extremely organized and she comes alongside of us to help us out. I don't know that I would call her a pastor though, Daniel. That might be the only thing that I would, I would call her a director, um, probably the director of worship. Um, rather than a pastor, even though she might fulfill that role with children or women in another position within the church. Um, I just find the term causes some people problems. And because this causes some people problems, then I would rather just have her be our worship leader. And I, again, I, I have no problem with that. I don't have a problem. We have, we had a Sunday school teacher. I mean, a Sunday school director who was a woman. Um, she had a she went and organized the men who were Sunday school teachers who were under her authority as she was putting those things together. We had a guy come to us one time and said, I'm not going to be under the authority of woman. Woman, I'm not going to work in that Sunday school. We were like, okay, that's, that's fine. Um, I don't think that the Bible disqualifies women from being in leadership. I believe that the role of a senior pastor is the role of a, of a man. That's God's role. We are um, complementary believing that God brings men and women together to complete one another. And remember, we are to submit to one another. And as a pastor and a leader of a church, when we have a staff meeting and we get input from a woman, I don't think any differently of that input than I do of a man. That input could be even better. Um, if you're married, and, and you don't listen to what your wife says, especially in the area of her strengths, then there's something really foolish going on. So yes, Daniel, thank you. Um, I would have a woman uh, uh, director of worship. I would have her leading worship teams. I would have her leading all of worship and having all the other worship teams being under that direction. All right, so we have a question from Annika. 
Annika, good to see you. Annika says, Ecclesiastes often says, sounds very depressing. Do you know what was going on in Solomon's life when he wrote the book? Yeah, I think that I do. Um, so I think Solomon had everything. He had wealth, wealth. he had wives, right? Up to 300 of them. Um, he had, he had, he could bring in court jesters. Um, he built buildings. He had projects like gardens. Uh, he did all kinds of things. And I think that he came to the place where he realized, I have everything and it really means nothing. And that's what the, the book of Ecclesiastes is about. That there is, there is no value even in building things or accomplishing things or being rich or trying to accumulate money. We often as a people are trying to get to a certain place. We want to get somewhere that, that we think if I get there, I'm going to be satisfied and I'm going to be fulfilled. When in reality, you won't be. The only thing that can really satisfy you and fulfill you is a genuine relationship with Jesus Christ. And I think that that's the end of the book of Ecclesiastes. What is the end then, he says? Serve God while you're young. Why wait until you're trying to accumulate everything, but serve him while you're young? We also know that Solomon made a lot of mistakes. He was not supposed to accumulate women, but he did. That's a mistake. That would cause him to not be fulfilled and satisfied because he's living outside of the realm that God has for him. Um, he accumulated wealth, which again, I think was something kings were not supposed to do. Um, horses, sorry, horses, not wealth. I'm sorry, not wealth. Well, God gave him the wealth. It was horses. He accumulated horses, something God didn't want them to put their trust in. Horses, but to put their trust in the living God. And I think that wherever we are disobedient, it can lead to, to places in our lives that lack contentment. And when we say to God, I surrender everything to you, and I want to live for you with everything that I have. That's where I believe that God intercedes. And um, it doesn't mean that we won't have struggles and difficulties, but I think that that's part of what we find going on in the life of, of Solomon as he writes about it. He had it all. And he also went for sinful areas and had all kinds of sinful things, but came up in the end and said, vanity, vanity, they're all vanity. They all don't mean anything in the end. And so serve God now while you're young and make a commitment now. Lord, speak to me and I'll hear you and help me to live my life in such a way that you would be pleased with me in the way that I live. All right. Thank you, Annika, very much. I appreciate that. Uh, if you're new here, we want to welcome you. This is TruthQuest podcast and this is our Q&A. You can, you can get our podcast wherever you get your podcast at. Just search for Robert Furrow. And when TruthQuest comes on, go ahead and subscribe for it. You get full-length teachings. You get our shorter hot topics. And you get our Q&As. If you have a question, if you're joining us for the first time and you have a question, then write the word question out, reread your question a couple times, and then submit it to the comment section wherever you're joining us from. We have people joining us from YouTube and from from Facebook. Um, I'm just seeing a bunch of, uh, it's interesting, I'm just seeing a bunch of YouTube stuff. It doesn't look like 
Has anything come in from, we might be, we might have a problem with our Facebook feeds today. All right, so all I see is, is YouTube stuff, so I'm not quite sure what's going on with our Facebook. Um, so let me see, I think I just had a question here from Jari that I lost. Let me see if I can find that. Um, let's see. All right, here's a question from Jari. So, um, and welcome to you guys from YouTube, by the way, because it looks like we don't have um, the Facebook stuff that is up and going. Is that, um, by the way, is that the case? I guess, maybe um, maybe you could check on that, Daniel, let me know. Um, so, dry as a question, question. Will we be in our glorified bodies during the millennium? Or will we be like angels? The people won't see us until we are all in the new heaven and new earth. Thank you. No, we will have our glorified bodies and we will be ruling and reigning together with him during that millennium. And Israel will be serving and worshiping God and fulfilling all the Old Testament passages on uh, the nation of Israel worshiping and fulfilling the living God. But at the resurrection, which happens first of all, there's a, there's a first and a second resurrection. The first resurrection is all of those who are resurrected to life. The second resurrection is the resurrection of the condemned or the, or the second death it's been compared to. And whether or not you have, you're resurrected during the, the rapture of the church, which is a resurrection, or after the rapture of the church, which has a resurrection as well, which then it's, it's called, this is the second or the fir first rapture, which includes Jesus. Uh, it's the first resurrection. It says after the tribulation period, Jesus is part of that resurrection. We're part of that resurrection. Everybody that is resurrected during the tribulation is part of it. And we rule and we reign with him. And then finally at the end of the millennium, there's the second death or the resurrection of everyone else when everyone else is judged. All right. So we want to be a part. And, and the Bible says, blessed are those who are part of the first resurrection. By the way, if you think the fact that it says after the tribulation period that there's a resurrection and that's called the first resurrection, that there's not a resurrection before that in the tribulation or Jesus being resurrected, that's wrong. It's all of that as a part of the first resurrection. It's those that are resurrected to life. These are the ones who are part of this first resurrection. All right, so thank you very much, uh, Jari. I appreciate your question. It's good to have um, you guys here with us today as uh, we take time to look at questions through the lens of scripture. So it's good to see you guys. I uh, see a lot of stuff going on here. We have a question from um, JG. It does look like we only have um, we only have YouTube going right now as far as the comment section here. I wonder if there's all comments favorites. I'm gonna go to all comments, just trying to see if I can change it up or not. All right, so we have a question from JG. And JG says, does God care about our salvation, but not what happens of our lives? All right, so, all right, so I, I do see some Facebook uh, comments coming in now. Could it be that we had all of our comments to start with from YouTube and we just got some Facebook ones now? All right, well, anyway, if that's the case, wow. All right, so um, does God care about our salvation, but not about what's happening, I'm gonna to say to you, in, in our lives, JG. Um, no, God cares very much about what's happening with your life. 
the Bible says, so did the Spirit, and from the Spirit you'll reap life. Put on your armor and stand fast and take the gospel to people around the world. You're the light of the, the, the world. You're the salt of the earth. We've been given the keys to the kingdom and the gates of hell will not prevail against us. We want to be efficient and effective in the battle against the kingdom of God. And we all come to the place where we finished our race. And Paul talked about that. I've run a good race. I fought a good fight. Paul talked about fighting not as though you, you are beating the air. He talked about um, making sure that you finished the race well and that you hadn't disciplined yourself now so that you did uh, finish the race well. No, God cares very much about the way we are living now. That's why we want to keep things in, in, a, in the right relationship with him. And JG, it's really all about that personal relationship that we have with Jesus Christ that really matters. That's what matters. And eternity, yes, that's wonderful. The fact that we're saved, we're going to be in heaven, and we're going to be there with him. That's all fantastic. But yes, God cares very much about your day-to-day -day life, walking with you, knowing you, loving you, dining with you, um, having that close, intimate relationship with you, you being in love with God. It's part of what we do as Christians. Remember the church at Ephesus that left their first love? He said, remember, return and repent, or I'm going to remove your candlestick from among you. So God cares very, very much about what it is that we do from a day-to-day -day basis, but also desires that all would be saved and all would come to the knowledge of the truth. That's God. He desires that everybody would get saved and everyone would come to um, <clears throat> the knowledge of the truth. All right. Thank you, um, JG. I appreciate that question. We have another question that comes in from Facebook. How about that? Um, from um, I'm not sure how to pronounce your name. Arlesia, Arlesia, I think. Something along those lines. Sorry if I butchered your name. Um, question, how can you tell a pastor that you can't bring a person to church when they say Christ didn't die for everyone? Okay, um, so let me go back and look at this here. How can you tell a pastor that you can't bring a person to church when they say Christ didn't die for everyone. I think you probably just say that. Just be as honest with them as you can. Listen, Jesus died once for all. That's what the Bible says. That means that the provision of his salvation that was made available on the cross was for everyone who would receive him. Now, I don't know what your pastor's saying. I don't know if he's saying, Jesus didn't die for everybody, like, like Reformed, limited atonement. There's some people who can't be saved. God chose them as, as, as fodder for hell. God chose them as vessels of dishonor, and they cannot be chosen as vessels of light. And so Jesus didn't die for everyone. If he's saying that, then biblically, I, I believe that's wrong. I believe that there is not limited atonement. God chose that people would believe to be saved. That's how God chose it. You have to believe and receive him to be saved. And everybody has that opportunity to be able to do that. When you choose not to believe, then you become a vessel of dishonor. Now you might say, well, I wanna work my way into salvation or I wanna do good things for God to be able to be saved, doesn't matter. 
Now, if that's how you are trying to be saved, by going to church, by doing good works, by being baptized, by speaking in tongues, you think that you're saved by doing those things, then you are now a vessel of dishonor. And who are you to say against the potter who he can make clay, how he wants to make it? If God wants to make believing the way people get into heaven, and some people try to separate Romans chapter 9 from Romans chapter 10, if we believe and confess with our mouth that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And they try to say, it's just God randomly choosing individuals when the Bible says, choose you this day whom you will serve. Now, I'm not saying there's not tension in the Bible when it comes to God drawing and God calling and people getting saved. I do believe there's tension there, but I don't believe that Christ didn't die for everyone. I believe he died once for all. That's what the Bible says. Now, if you want to say the person who rejects and dies and ends up separated from God for all eternity, that Jesus didn't die for that person, I would even say that's wrong because he did die for them. Had they received him, then, then he, his death was for, it was sufficient for every person that's ever been born. And so, if there's a person that doesn't want to go to this church because the guy says that Jesus didn't die for the sins of everybody, then I would just go to him and tell him. Doesn't mean he's going to change what he believes about what he believes, but it means that he knows. And if somebody comes to me and says, um, I have a friend of mine who says he won't come back to the church because uh, you teach the rapture. Well, all right, I'm sorry, but I'm going to continue to give the full counsel of God. And I'm not going to deny passages because someone gets offended. That pastor would be a hireling. However, I want to make sure that what I'm seeing, teaching, and believing is the truth. So, um, I, I just say, go tell him. Just say, go, and, and, and don't, try to, don't try to make it like a, a huge thing. Just go to him and say, hey, this is, I want to tell you what my friend said. They were coming to church with me. They said, they're not going to come anymore because you said Jesus didn't die for all. And you might even have a scripture there and just say, I'm concerned about it. And, um, you know, look to encourage them if you can. And um, you don't want to be dishonest, but it's always good if you, if you say to someone, um, if you say to someone, hey, uh, I, lost, I lost my train of thought there. Um, yeah, well, it's always good to say, say to someone, um, hey, I'm, I'm blessed by what you said. I love this teaching. You know, I get a lot from your teaching. If you can honestly say those things, say them. You're not just flattering or buttering them up. You're just kind of trying to level the playing field. That yes, there's this problem, but I want you to know that I am also thankful. I'm thankful for you. I'm thankful for what God does for you, but I see a problem here. So a little advice from a pastor on how to talk to a pastor, all right? So, um, all right, so we, uh, let's go ahead and take a look and um, at another question that we've got here. Again, if you are here for the very first time, really glad to have you here. We hope that you are blessed. If you have a question, write the word question out, then write your question. It can be about the Bible, Christian living, apologetics, um, prophecy, difficult passages in the Bible. Uh, we will take a look at all of those if you have any question at all. All right. And I know that a lot of you come on and just watch our, our Q&A 
And if that is the case and you have a question, then please feel free uh, to go ahead and share that. So I'm gonna go to another question that we have prepared, um, which says, why are Jesus and Satan both referred to as the morning star? And um, I was hoping, and I may do it anyway, I may start with this so I can take a look at these passages that talk about Jesus and Lucifer being the morning star. I'm pretty sure I can find the one that talks about Lucifer. And let me get there. It's Isaiah 14, I think, verse 12. And th that's going to be enough to really help us. Um, I think it's in 1 Peter where we're told, until the morning star, Jesus being the morning star, rises in your heart. So Jesus is the morning star. Now the morning star is Venus. That's the first star that you see in the sky is Venus. So when Jesus is called the morning star that rises in our hearts, it's just talking about the star that rises for us. Um, Satan, we know, wanted to exalt his throne above the throne of God. He wanted to become like God. He wanted to be God. And so um, in, and let me go ahead and put this on the screen for you here. So here it says, um, this is talking about Satan. Verse 13, for you have said in your heart, I will ascend in heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit on the mount of the trans uh, congregation on the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend the, um, to the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high, but you shall be brought down to Sheol, to the lower depths, the lowest depths of the pit, um, those who gaze at you. All right, so I did not find the passage that I wanted there. Um, let me see if I can just look here. There we go. It is verse 12. I was right about it being verse 12. I just didn't get verse to verse 12 read. Okay, so here's verse 12. The fall of Lucifer. Um, the word Lucifer is the, the word for Venus. I think it's the Latin word for Venus. That's what I was hesitating on. Um, I think it's the Latin word for Venus is Lucifer. So Lucifer, the arch enemy, the, the dragon of old, the serpent of old, the dragon is not Lucifer. That's not his name. Here where it says, how you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. So that's O, star, son of, um, o morning star, son of the morning. How you are cut down to the ground, you who are weakened. So Isaiah doesn't call him Lucifer. That's the King James Bible made the mistake of translating morning star into Lucifer. And that's where they think they get his name from, which is really funny to me that all these people are doing things to Lucifer and Lucifer isn't really his name. We don't know the name of the arch enemy and that might indeed be by design, but God's mocking him. He wanted to exalt his throne above God's throne. How you've fallen from heaven, O morning star. So Lucifer was never the morning star. Jesus is. Lucifer wanted to be the morning star. And because he wanted to be the morning star, then God mocks him because he tried to exalt himself. But in trying to exalt himself, he fell down to the ground, um, uh, all, all of the way down uh, to the ground. So, um, let's see, I'm going to go ahead and we have a clear, looks like we have a clarification here. Um, let me go ahead and get us back to our main screen, by the way. All right. And, um, looks like we might have a clarification here. Um, 
Let me see, make sure to write the word question or a question mark in front of it. All right, yeah, so we have another question here from JG. JG says, sorry, Pastor Robert, I was asking specifically, does God care about our salvation but not our personal happiness in this life? Thanks. All right, sorry, Jari. I mean, sorry, uh, JG. Uh, sometimes it's hard from a question and you gotta make some leaps that are there. Um, I'm not gonna say God doesn't care about your happiness. Jesus said that he wanted his joy to be in us and our joy to be full. I see happiness as very shallow and joy as very deep. Happiness depends on circumstances and there are certain things that God does in our lives which makes us happy because God's moving in our lives. But I think that what God cares more about now is your joy, your character, that God's even taking you through difficulties and hardships and trials that might destroy your happiness because God's doing something through them. So yes, God cares about our salvation and God cares about your, your character and your development as you serve and follow him. And so God might allow you to go through a dark period in your life or a difficulty or a tough time because God's speaking to you or God wants to do something in your life. All right. So yeah, I'm not so sure God's too worried about our happiness. Although imagine when we're in heaven, we will have fullness of joy. It'll be something much more deep and much more profound um, than just happiness. All right. So we have another question from Annika. Annika, good to see you. She says, what is the favorite name, your favorite name for Jesus and why? Um, so when I was a kid, I had that poster, it's black, and it's got all the names of Jesus that are on them. And I had it up in my room. And I remember just you know laying down on my bed and, and reading the different names that are on there. Um, I am probably is my favorite. It's the, comes from Yahweh, right? Or Yehovah, however you want to say that. We have the consonants, the tetragrammaton in the, in the Old Testament is the name of God. It's the consonants, Y-H-W-H, probably something like Yahweh. And um, it means I am that I am. Who shall I say sent me? Moses said to the angel in the burning bush, tell them I am that I am has sent you. And of course, the angel in the burning bush was God, probably a Christophany. It was Jesus. And so I love the name I am because he's not was, he's not going to be. And Jesus makes a play on this in Revelation chapter one. I am the one who was, the one who died and am alive and am alive forevermore. He is the great I am. Where by the time I say I, I am, if I'm like I am, I really was because I'm not exactly the way I was before. But God is the always one. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. I am the ever-changing one. And so are you, Annika, and so are the rest of us. So I love the name. Um, I love the name I am. I love that Jesus says it seven times in the book of John. I love that in the book of John, when they come looking for him in the garden, he says, I am, and they fall back onto the ground. I love that. I also, Love that Jesus is the lion of the tribe of Judah and the lamb of God. He's fierce and he's lowly and gentle. To those who are proudful and arrogant, he will be a lion. 
to those who are meek, he will be a lamb. And I think there's ways in which he's a lamb and a lion to all of us as well. But I would much rather be meek and humble and have Jesus deal with me as the lamb of God instead of the lion of the tribe of Judah. All right, um, many more names for God. If you guys wanna look it up, you can look up that poster and um, you can see them. Maybe we'll get some more t-shirts made uh, for the church and for uh, Truth Quest podcast that just have all the names of God on them. Annika, that'd be awesome. And we will look at doing something, um, something along those lines. All right, so we have a question from Dan. Dan comes to us from Facebook. You can tell by his question. Facebook allows you a lot more words than what YouTube does. And so here we go. You guys ready for this? Wham, there it is. All right, so Dan says, question, since I came back to God, I am confused about being saved. When you walk and do everything you can to keep God in your heart and keep his word and commandments, how do you know if you are saved and if God approves of us? How do we know that we are doing right and the correct thing? Since I am an infant of God, I I do not wish to anger God with my infant questions. All right, Dan, first of all, I think that God's big enough to handle any question that you want to bring him. You want to know what the truth is, so ask God questions. Ask him to reveal it to you. Find something you're interested in. Begin searching the scriptures over. Um, Everybody has to have their feet washed, Dan. Remember, Jesus is washing the disciples' feet. He comes to Peter. Peter's like, you're not going to wash my feet. Jesus is like, then I can't, but you, you can't have part of me, Peter because his sin had separated him from God. It didn't separate him from the love of God. God still loved him, but his sin would separate him from God. So Jesus needed to wash the feet so the fellowship with God could be restored. And Peter said, well, my head and my hands also. And Jesus said, I don't need to wash your head and hands. All I need to do is wash your feet because your head and hands are already clean. I'm called by God, I'm sanctified. And the way that you know that you are saved is because the Bible says, if you believe, then you will be saved. So the question is, Dan, do you believe? And if you struggle with believing, that's okay. You could say, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. You could say, I struggle with unbelief from time to time. That's okay. As long as you say, I choose to believe. So the story is told of of, um, Billy Graham coming across a couple of apparent contradictions in the Bible. And... um, we, we will take some time to deal with some contradictions on our Truth Coast podcast. Um, probably we're going to do contradictions in hot topic forms and then maybe a full-length sermon that will deal with some contradictions when we come across them here pretty soon in the book of Luke. Um, but we had Billy Graham came across an apparent contradiction and didn't know what to believe. And so finally, he set his Bible down in a tree stump. This is how the story goes. In the, in the woods of North Carolina. A very poor Billy Graham, I do understand. And he just said to God, I don't understand everything here. I don't understand how it says one thing here and another thing somewhere else. But I trust your word. And I believe you. And I'll live for you for the rest of my life. So even though he had doubts, this is how the story goes. Even though he had doubts, he gave that commitment to God. And there's real strength in that. I've come across what I believe are contradictions um, within the Bible. 
I've also found that over a period of time, as you really dive into them, you see that the contradictions are not there. They're not huge, gigantic contradictions. And we'll be talking about some of those. Um, but here's the idea. I'll give you three things, Dan. Delight yourself in the Lord. Make a decision today, the rest of today, to delight yourself in God. And he'll give you the desires of your heart. Abide in him. Let his word abide in you. And he'll give you the desires of your heart whatever you ask for. Walk in the spirit and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Just walk in the spirit, delight in God, abide in Christ, let his word abide in you and you're gonna be right with God. And it's okay to say daily, Lord, I'm sorry, I wanna be right, I wanna be sincere, I wanna be faithful, I don't want to be pretend. All of that is good, okay? So hopefully that answers your question. Um, and it's okay to be young in the Lord, all right? You're, you're going to grow, and um, I may have more faith in you, Dan, in realizing I need to grow, I'm a baby, I need to grow, than someone who's been a Christian for a couple of months and thinks they know everything, and you do run into that, all right? There's definitely people who do that, and I just say, take your time. Learn what you can learn, live for the Lord, Serve him, um, serve him wholeheartedly as you live for him. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you uh, the desires of your heart. All right. So, um, let's see. Looks like we've got some King James only conversations going on here. Um, it is the King James that calls him Lucifer, by the way. Um, okay, so we have another question here from Kimberly. Kimberly says, why do you prefer the New King James Version of the Bible? All right, well, thank you very much for your question. Um, part of it for the New King James is it is the Bible that I have always used. When I started, when I started studying the Bible, Pastor Chuck Smith had cassettes out and I got them through Hosanna Library. This is way back in the 70s, and I would listen to cassette tapes and I would read through the Bible with him. He had New King James, I used New King James. As I continued on, started teaching junior high, started teaching high school, and then started teaching in church, I just continued to use the King New King James because that's what I've learned it from, that's what I've memorized most of the scriptures from. I believe the other versions can be helpful especially when you can compare and contrast them. I also believe that other manuscripts are helpful, that we can look and compare and contrast manuscripts. The Bible says that God has preserved his word from generation to generation. And I believe that God's doing that today. Um, I do like the ESV. I like the NASB. Um, I saw some conversations about the King James. Um, the King James is okay. It's sometimes so it's so old that it's hard to really grasp and hard for people to really, you know, grab a hold of it and understand it completely. And so it might not be my favorite Bible for someone who's just starting out. After a while, if you like the way that it reads and you love it, then yeah, go ahead and read it. I don't think it's different than any other um, translation of the Bible. I do understand they go back to um, certain manuscripts that were available in 1611 and certain manuscripts that are available today and believing that the manuscripts that are available in 1611 are somehow ordained by God. I just think that the New King James goes too far with that. 
And we can talk about that if any of you guys have um, any questions. All right, so we have a question again uh, from Daniel and Daniel is asking for Thomas. Um, how do I remove things from my children? How do I remove things from my children that at one point they were allowed to do? But because of our crazy society, they're not without creating bitterness in their hearts. All right, Thomas, thank you very much for your question. And um, I'm not sure what you're talking about with our crazy society. Um, I'm trying to think of something they were allowed to do and not be allowed to do now because of that. Um, I wish I had a little bit more detail. I could be helpful. Uh, that, that could be helpful. But you know, the Bible talks about us not provoking our children to wrath. And so I think it's really important for us to communicate with them, to let them know why we're doing what we're doing, and hopefully they won't get bitter. Uh, your, your desire is to prepare your children now so that when they're adults, they can make adult decisions that will be good for them. That's your heart and your desire. And um, Daniel, if you wanted to, to give an example of what he might be talking about, or if Thomas wants to, just write a you know, question in there, then I'll take a look at that. Um, but I, you know, as an adult, you just need to make some decisions. Tell your kids you love them a lot. Let them know that. Let them know why something is bad if it's appropriate right? Because sometimes there are things that are not appropriate to be able to, to tell children. Um, but uh, you can um, you can be as, as forthright as you feel comfortable being with them about why there are certain things in the world now uh, that they cannot do. All right? So if you can give me a little bit more detail, I think that we might be able uh, to help you out a little more. All right? So, um, let's see, someone's talking about a dumb question. I didn't see one, but I didn't, um, unless I missed one. <laughs> all right. Um, all right. So I'm going to go ahead and look here for a few more questions. Um, we're coming near the end of the podcast now. If you're here, first of all, for the very first time, really glad you're here. Um, this is Truth Quest podcast. Our desire, and this is our Q and A. Our desire is to look at questions through the lens of Scripture, that we might know what the Bible says and why we believe what we end up believing. All right. So I'm just uh, a lot of conversation here. Love the uh, love the platform. So um, we have another question from Joe Ellen. All right, and uh, Joe Ellen says, "Can you help me understand?" What is meant by Matthew 22, 14 and 2 Peter 3, 9? I'm having a hard time understanding he wants all to come, but then speaks in parables so all don't understand. Thank you. Blessings and Merry Christmas to you and yours. All right. So let's talk about parables. So he spoke in parables to the crowds at a certain point in his ministry. When he started his ministry, he, he spoke plainly, just taught plainly. But at a certain point, he only spoke to the crowds in parables because Isaiah said, in hearing, they would not hear and seeing, they would not see and they wouldn't understand. God wants you, if you are ready to seek him and really seeking him, to find him. God's a, it rewards those who diligently seek him. And if you seek God, you will find him 
when you search for him with all of your heart. And so God has given parables to us for us to be able to understand, to grasp and to understand and to follow and believe if, we, if we're on the inside. If we're on the outside and we're not really all that interested, we don't really want to dive into what it says or figure it out, then it doesn't really um, speak to us. And I think that's okay with God. God's looking for those. He's not, he's not going to reveal himself to uh, passive seekers. He's revealing himself to diligent seekers. So I'm looking up Matthew 22, 14. I want to just make sure I've got a reference here for what you're talking about. All right. So, um, for many are called, but few are chosen. Okay, question. Can you help me understand what it meant by, okay, many are called, few are chosen. Second Peter 3, I'm, I'm in a hard time. So, Second Peter 3, 9. Let me go to Second Peter 3, 9 and see what that one says. Sorry, it's taking me a little bit of here, but if you're going to compare passages, sometimes it helps to have them written out if you can do that. If you can't do it, or, or write one of them out and let me look the other one up. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, some count slackness, but is long-suffering towards us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to the knowledge of repentance. So I think in, in Matthew 22, 14, let me just get back there because I don't want to misquote it. Matthew 22, 14, I'm going to bring it up here on the screen for you, and I'm getting a little bit better idea of what your question is, all right? So I'm going to go ahead and bring the scriptures up on the screen for you where it says, uh, for many are called, but few are chosen. So I had said, when we're talking about God choosing vessels of honor and dishonor, that he's chosen those who would believe to be vessels of honor, those who don't believe to be vessels of dishonor. And who are you to speak against God? And that God has made provision available for salvation for everyone. And God desires that all would be saved. But that there is tension in the Bible still about God's sovereignty and God's plan and why does God go further and seeing someone get saved and seem to let someone else go. And the Bible says in John 6, 44, no one comes to him unless the Father draws him. So God calls a lot of people, but not all of them are chosen. You are chosen, you are, well, you are chosen, when you receive Jesus as your savior and then he chooses you. you. In other words, being saved is like a marriage. You both get an opportunity. You, there are both people in a marriage have to say, I do. And so with God, he has to choose you. You have not chosen me, but I've chosen you. And God called us, but you have to call him and choose him. And the, I'm not going to pretend like there's not tension in the Bible with it. Um, there is, but I do believe as we sit down and look at all of them that we can clearly see that God gives everyone a legitimate choice. We all have choices. We may be prone to certain things or certain kinds of sins, but we all have choices on the way that we are to live and the certain things that we're going to live for. All right, so I'm going to bring in one more question here and then we are going to uh, call it a day. All right. So thank you for your question though. Um, and we have a question from Thomas. Thomas says, um, I can tell my 10 year old about gays and trans and MAPs without divulging more than they need to understand. Why take away Netflix because of, um, 
we took away Netflix because of, um, yeah, all right, in infiltration. Okay, um, I understand, Thomas. Um, yeah, so I don't know how, how old your boys are. That's the or how old your children are. That's the only thing I'm missing. But I'm going to say they're probably, well, they're probably old enough to be able to understand these things. So yeah, I can understand why you would take those away. Um, our Heavenly Father disciplines us, and we love Him. And so letting our kids know, look, I love you, and I just don't want you to have access to this right now. I, I want you to have good influences. Let them know it's because you love them. And I think that that will be helpful. I have some, um, I have some experience with this because I was a youth pastor for a while. Now, this is a long time ago, long before Netflix, but there were certain things that parents didn't want their kids involved in and kids would be upset uh, because of it. And maybe even back in the 70s um, and the early 80s when I was a youth pastor, there was a little bit more legalism going on um, and encouraging kids to be respectful, to, be, to, be, to love their parents, to know their parents have their best in mind, and that there's a point of obedience that has a blessing to it. You are blessed when you obey your father and mother. And um, maybe a little bit of those reminders lovingly talking with them, um, they'll be able to make decisions sooner or later. We hope that they make right decisions. We hope we, they make decisions when they're adults that we would make, but I have three adult kids and I can tell you that that's not always the case. All right. So Thomas, thank you very much uh, for your question here. Um, I appreciate that. And hopefully that's helpful. It's good to see you guys. I see there's a lot more questions or a few more questions that are written out here. Um, I'll take a look a little bit later on and make opening slides with them or you can re-ask those questions in future Q&As. It's been good spending the last hour with you. I hope you have a great day. Stay close to Jesus. Love God's word. Study God's word. Find things you're interested in and then pour into God's word. If you're interested in heaven, if you're interested in spiritual warfare, the real biblical truth of it, then dive into those things yourself. Um, go ahead and make a notebook. Begin to begin to look up the details on your own. Take things you're interested in. Really fall in love with God's word. All right, stay close to Jesus. God bless you guys. I'm going to go ahead and sign out. Uh, we have a service in two hours, by the way. Um, we're going to be talking about one of the most misunderstood parables interpreted. Um, it's the um, it's the unjust steward and um, what we can learn from that in our study tonight.